Let us turn then to the book of Jonah, to Jonah chapter 1 for our text this morning. Jonah in the Old Testament. We have Amos and then Obadiah, and then we have Jonah, and that's before Micah. And we're going to read just a couple of verses from the first chapter of Jonah. Let us read then from Jonah chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 for our text this morning. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it off them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And uh, seeking the Lord's blessing this morning, we want to profitably meditate upon these words as he will enable us. We have taken our time as we've gone through this first chapter of Jonah, principally because there are much things in it that we can learn. It's all there for our edification, and therefore we are going through this part of Jonah a bit slower maybe than we have tackled other books and other series. Nevertheless, we do think it is profitable that we would meditate upon these words before us today. The title I want to give to our meditation is When I'm Afraid. When I'm Afraid. These verses tell us about people, hardened individuals. When a scenario came upon them, they were afraid. We have looked, as we've said, in the earlier parts of these, this chapter, and we noticed that Jonah was a disobedient servant, and the last time that we looked at it, we noticed that he was also a dangerous servant. He was dangerous because the Lord had sent a great storm upon the ship that he was a passenger in, because he was a disobedient servant. And we sought to draw one or two lessons from that for our edification. Well, now we want to go on. And we want to look at these verses, and we have a number of things that we wish to highlight with you this morning. The first thing then, obviously from our text, is the mariners were afraid. The mariners sailors were afraid. To be a sailor thousands of years ago would be no easy vocation. You would have to be a hard individual to be a sailor. Even today, with all our modern technology and our ships, it's still can be a dangerous vocation or occupation to be a sailor. Who can control the wind and the waves? Well, man can do a certain amount, 
and he's learned quite a bit. But when that wind goes and when the waves roar, even the most hardened of our sailors today could well have a, a gulp in their throats as they would contemplate something that they're not in control over. Well, it would be no different for these seasoned sailors here. They, had, they would be used to storms. This is something that they would encounter. This would not be a surprise to them. Let's be clear. They would have encountered many storms before, but this storm was something else. And because it was something else, they were afraid. Now, friends, it's quite natural to be afraid. It is. It's quite natural to be afraid. We value our lives. And if there comes an occasion when we're afraid, afraid of our lives, then that is perfectly human. That is normal because we value life. And they were valuing their life because they felt as if their life was in danger. Their life was going to come to an end. What makes you afraid? What is it that makes you afraid? I don't expect you to answer me verbally, but I'm sure there are many things that will make you afraid. You maybe don't want to go to the dentist, and who does? It can be painful. You don't want to go to the doctor, even if there's something wrong. You don't want to go unless, uh, in case he tells you there's something really seriously wrong with you and you need to deal with this. It's life-threatening. And very often you're afraid to go to the doctor because you don't want to hear some bad news. Maybe you don't want to go to school tomorrow because maybe you haven't done your, your homework. Or maybe you're going to have an exam and you know you haven't studied for it and you don't expect to do well and you're afraid of that experience. There can be many things that can cause us to be afraid. But the principal thing, friends, that causes every one of us to be afraid is when our lives are at a risk and when we are made more and more aware of our mortality. Now, we all know about our mortality. Even the youngest among us knows about our mortality. What does that mean? Well, we know that one day we will pass into eternity. We know it, but very often we don't live as we know it. We carry on as if we're always going to be here. We carry on as if we're always going to come to the house of God and hear the gospel. We carry on as, as if everything's going to be as normal, yet in the back of our minds we know that's not going to be the case, but we do not live out what we really know in our hearts and in our minds. Well, these men, they came to a realization that this could be it. This could be curtains for them. They could be drowned. They could be lost. They could perish. They would never see their homes or their families again. And they were afraid. 
What are we to do, friends, when we're afraid? We're to have faith. Not in ourselves, but in the living God. He is the one who controls all things. Yes, friends, no matter how unpopular this might be, and indeed it should be a, a number one doctrine for the child of God that we believe in a God who is sovereign, but the worldling hates it. The worldling hates to think that there's a God in heaven who sits upon his throne and nothing happens but by his will. But for the Christian friends, for the believer, is this not metal for our backbone? Does this not help us to overcome all our fears? That the great God of heaven, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Well, when we're afraid, we are to look to him. Well, secondly, we might say they began to pray. Well, they began to pray. Is this not what it says? Then the mariners were afraid and cried, every man unto his God. Well, you might say, well, they've done just as we should do. Well, not exactly. They did pray in a fashion we will acknowledge. The sailors believed that they were drowning. And what did they do? They called upon their gods. We would have to say what they did was a complete and utter waste of time. Why? They called upon their false gods. Gods who cannot see, gods who cannot move, gods who cannot act, gods who are nothing but idols, who cannot hear, who cannot respond. That's what they did. But what happened? Well, they revealed here by their actions that when the chips are down, there are no real atheists in this world. Oh, it's easy to be an atheist when life is rosy. It's easy to be an atheist when we're young and fit, life's good, the sun is shining, we have no problems, life looks good. But when things change, when there is problems, when we are aware of our mortality, then, friends, things change. Then we realize that we, when we pass on, we pass on and we meet the living and the true God. And what's more, we know about this God. There is a sense of deity implanted in every single one of us. It doesn't matter what. 
doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter the language we speak. It doesn't matter about the color of our skin. We're all ultimately made in the image of God, and part of that image that he has ingrained in us is a sense of him. And we cannot erase it or eradicate it. It's there. Oh, it might lie dormant, and we might try to suppress it, as Paul would tell us in the book of Romans chapter 1, but nevertheless, it's there. And what's more, the book would tell us in Romans chapter 1, it would tell us that not only have we got a sense of God, but we have a sense of the one true and living God. Now, these men were worshiping false gods, but there, underneath it all, was this realization that there's a God to whom they are answerable unto. And I put it to you, friend, when you will come across times of trouble, and when you think that your life is in danger, you will cry out. You might not pray now, but the time will come when you'll pray. But who will you pray to? Friends, we can only pray to that one who alone can save us. Because if we're following the gods of this world, or the gods of our own imagination, then we can be assured our prayers will not be heard. I refer to Romans chapter 1. Let me read one verse from verse 19. Romans chapter 1, verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. There is a lot in that verse, but there's two main things that spring out from that verse. Here in that section of the chapter, the, the Apostle Paul is outlining the guilt of the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles did not have the blessings that the Jews had. The Jews had divine revelation, and the Jews were God's people, and God gave them blessings that he did not give to the Gentiles at this time. But Paul was reminding them that the Gentiles were still guilty because they had a knowledge of God, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. What's he talking about there? Well, there is an, in, an internal witness within us all. What is it? It's our conscience. God reveals himself in, in our conscience. We have a sense of right and wrong. Where did that come from? That came from God. Now the conscience has been affected by sin. It can be seared. It can become dead, but by the Holy Spirit, it can come alive again, and it can convict us. And that's what happens. That's what happens when we come to the, to the house of God, and the minister preaches the gospel, and he, he applies it to those who are in front of him. What happens? Oh, the conscience is pricked. People don't like to hear these things, and that's why they don't come to the house of God. 
because the conscience speaks, and the conscience is awakened, and the conscience is telling the people that what the preacher is saying is right. But they don't want to hear it. But they have that witness, and they may try to suppress it, but it's still there. And therefore, tonight, today, as we stand here, I have, if you like, a friend within every single one of you. What is that friend? It is the conscience. It is the conscience that God has given to you. You know the right and wrong. And you know that with all my faults, and there are many, with all my faults, you know that when I speak the word of God, it is the truth. You mightn't like it, but it's true. But he goes on. Not only is there a, an internal witness, there's an external witness. For God hath showed it unto them. What has God showed to them? What has God showed to all of mankind? He has shown the creation. Glorious, wonderful creation. Yet it's cursed. But even as it's cursed, it speaks of God. A creation demands a creator. And for anyone to believe that this world came out of nothing or by the result of some great big bang, it is ridiculous. And we say that sincerely. It's absolutely ridiculous. Nothing can come from nothing. That's a scientific fact. You don't need to be a, a, someone who's got a, a long list of letters after your name to realize that nothing can come from nothing. And the very fact that there is something, something that you can see, something you, that you live in, you can see there's something that tells you there is something, and that something is God. Now, he goes on, Paul, in the next verse. I'll quote the next verse, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Basically, what he's saying there is, the one true and the living God is a reality to everyone. Everyone here, everyone out there, everyone, no exception. And he goes on, so that they are without excuse. You have no excuse for your atheism. You have no excuse for your unbelief, none whatsoever. You know, you hear people say when you try to evangelize, and that's not easy, when you try to evangelize and when you speak about the things of God, the things of Christ, about sin and salvation, about heaven and hell, and very often they'll say, well, if I saw a miracle or if God spoke to me, then I would believe. And other such excuses, and they are excuses, because you have within you and you have without enough evidence so that you are without excuse. You know the reality of God. These men knew it. And they turned to their false gods. 
Now, the knowledge that we have by nature is not enough to save us. We never say that. But the knowledge that everyone has by nature is enough so that we have no excuse. We cannot deny the existence of the one true and the living God. But we need special revelation. We need the revelation that's found in God's Word and in God's Word alone that reveals to us a Savior. Well, there's no atheist, friends, when we're on our deathbed. There's no atheist when we're in the battlefield, when the bullets are flying, when lives are dying right before us. There are no atheists, none whatsoever. And in some sense, here we find people who were fearful of dying. They turned to their gods. What is prayer? They cried every man unto his God, but it wasn't prayer as we would recognize it. It wasn't. What is prayer? Well, in the full light of the New Testament, our catechism tells us exactly what prayer is. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. In the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement, of his mercies. That's what real prayer is. An offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. Is it agreeable to God's will that you be saved? Is it? Can you not offer up that prayer today? Lord, save me. Of course you can. In the name of Christ, you're recognizing there's no other way to be saved but through Jesus Christ. Confession of our sins. Surely we can confess our sins. Why would we come to Christ? We come to Christ because we are sinners and we know that because of our sin we are separated from God. And we come and we pray because we have a firm belief that God is merciful. Who is ever going to pray to God if they feel that he's not merciful? But God is merciful. Who is like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his people? For he retaineth not his anger forever. Why, why, why? Because he delighteth in mercy. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we proclaim. He delights in mercy. He does not delight in judgment. He does not delight in death. He does not delight in casting people into hell. He does not delight in that. You'll never read that in the word of God, but he does delight in mercy. And friends, you must take this home with you this afternoon. He delights in mercy. What an incentive. Oh, I'm a sinner. Yes, you're a sinner. I deserve nothing but God's wrath and curse. That's true. 
But do you know that God is merciful? Do you know it? Well, let's press on. What else do we notice here? Not only did they, they cry unto their gods and they prayed in some sense, but they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea. They cast out their cargo. Let's be clear here. The very reason they were in the ship at the first place was to take their cargo from one port to another port. That was their very purpose that they were there. They wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for the cargo. And they were like the people that we read about earlier on in James. James chapter 4 verse 13 would sum them up. Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. These people were out to make money. They were out commercial travelers. They were taking one cargo from one port. They were going to another cargo. They were going to offload that cargo, maybe sell it, whatever. And once they made some money, they would buy some more cargo from that port and go back to another port and they would repeat the whole operation. They were out to line their pockets. That's what they were doing. And they were saying to themselves, well, we have a wonderful stock here of whatever it was, whether it be grain, whether it be food, whether it be spices or perfume or whatever. They had a wonderful selection of goods and they had ready customers before them. And they were going to make a profit and life was going to be easy for them. Wonderful, was it not? Here they were going to do buy and sell. There's nothing wrong with that, friends. There's nothing wrong with being commercial. There's nothing wrong with being industrial. There's nothing wrong in seeking to make a living and an earning. Nothing wrong in it whatsoever. But when their lives were in danger, these things that occupied their minds and these things that they put all their energy into became as baubles. We can do without this. We want to save our lives. If we lighten the cargo, if we throw the cargo out, we'll lighten the ship and we'll have a better chance of survival. So then all their precious cargo, what happened to it? It went overboard. They couldn't care less for it. Their lives were more important. What is holding you back from calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it? It's something or some things in this world. It's maybe your reputation. It's maybe your friends, maybe your family. It's maybe your money. It's something else. Something that's more important and more precious to you than your soul. And you're prepared to hold on to whatever it is. Whatever it is that's special to you in this world. You're going to hold on to it. You need to take a lesson from these men. You need to cast out 
whatever is holding you back. There is nothing as so important or so valuable as your soul. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? These are penetrating words from the Savior. What shall a man gain if he shall, what shall a man profit if he shall gain the whole world? Oh, if you could amass everything this world could give you. And many people are chasing after the things of this world and lose your soul. Have you made a good bargain? Have you done a good deed or a good deal? No, you have not. Because every one of you, every one of you, from the youngest to the oldest, to the richest, to the poorest, you have something priceless. And these men recognized it, and they were prepared to do whatever they could, humanly speaking, to save their lives. And they give over what would make them happy or what they thought would make them happy and make them <laughs> prosperous. We've had enough of it. Well, friends, this is the way it's got to be for you. If you're going to be a Christian, you must be prepared to cast out everything or at least be prepared to cast out everything. Everything that would distract you, everything that would hold you back, you must cast it out. There's a verse here from John's Gospel, the words of Jesus, which are very apposite to quote here. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If you love your life, if you love your possessions, if you love your lifestyle, if you love everything about your life as it is now, if you're going to hold on to all of these things, all of these things, all of these sinful things, if you're going to hold on to them, then you'll lose your life. Now, it's not difficult to understand this, friends. This is not high theology. This is just practical day-to-day -day stuff because one day you're going to leave everything behind anyway. You know, the man with millions, he'll leave everything behind. The man with nothing, he'll leave everything behind. They'll both take up, if you like, the same space in the earth. Doesn't matter how much money or how many homes or how many cars they've got or how much possessions they've got. It doesn't matter. You're going to leave it all behind anyway. Far better than to leave it behind now. Oh, we're not saying that you've got to give away everything. We're not saying that at all. But you have to be prepared to have Christ and take him and that he must be Lord and Savior of your life. And you must look upon these other things as secondary. That's what happened here. 
These men began to value their lives, their souls. Why? We're about to go into eternity. Are we going to be worried about some grain or some produce or some spices or some perfume or some animals that we have here? What is that in comparison to my life? What is that in comparison with eternity? And that's the way it must be for you, friend. You're a financial wizard, are you not? You're used to reckoning up one column with another column. You're used to analyzing things. Well, you better start analyzing your life. What is a house? What is possessions? What is money in the bank? What is a lovely reputation among your family and friends in comparison to a lost eternity. What is it? When I am afraid. Well, when you're truly afraid, our hope and our plea would be that you would turn that you would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would call upon him, and that you would see things for what they really are, that you would not be entangled and engrossed in all of these things in the world because they're all transitory. Instead, that you would close in with Christ, have him as your Lord and your Savior. And cast your burden upon him. When I'm afraid, amen. And may the Lord bless.